I like turtles. I woke up that morning and I got emails from my business and personal bank accounts that they were all overdrawn. My two brothers called me at like two o'clock in the morning and came over and told me because they were going to announce it to everybody the next day and they wanted to tell me in person. The fastest way to get smart is to run out of time or run out of money. Because once you've run out of either one of those, you can't afford to be stupid anymore. And if you want to be smarter, then just convince yourself that you have, and then it will force you to make better decisions. What happened is I stopped working. Funny thing happens when you stop working, you stop making money. I'm ready to go when you are. All right, my name is Brad Martineau. I was born and raised in Arizona. Growing up, I was the sixth of 10 kids. That's not an error in language. Actually, 10 kids, I'm smack dab in the middle. Currently married, I've got five kids that range from, as of the recording, from 15 down to seven. Outside of family life, I am horribly, not horribly because I love it, but addicted to basketball. I love playing all the time. And then right now, I currently am operating as the co-founder and CEO of Sixth Division. I've also got another company that my business partner runs full-time called Plus This. Both of them are designed to help entrepreneurs who are looking to create more predictability and sustainability in how they produce revenue and how they grow their businesses. So that's the game I play. And plus, this is a software company. Sixth Division is a services and coaching company. And where are you located? Mesa, Arizona. Is it right outside of Phoenix? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So Mesa, Arizona is like 20 minutes from the airport in Phoenix. It's sort of like all the little towns around like a Chicago or LA. It's what Mesa is to Phoenix. So for all intents and purposes, we're in Phoenix. I just always find that interesting because, I mean, people are listening all around the world. A lot of the old podcasts I used to listen to would never know where the guy's at. So interesting where people can start their businesses. And what type of basketball? Do you care if it's NBA, college, high school? I'm not a huge follower of basketball. I play basketball. So I'll watch some games. My kids like to watch games periodically, although they're more into watching football. My youngest plays basketball. I messed up my knee when I was a junior in high school in between my sophomore and junior year, and I actually missed my junior year. And I watch so much basketball, but I don't really like watching it. I just want to play. So, so I, I do like, right, I found these, they have these like fantasy basketball, like experience weekends. You can go to like University of Kentucky, University of Kansas, University of Miami. Kevin Durant does one. And you've got to be 35 or older and be willing to spend what many people would deem an irrational amount of money to go play. And they have like, you're playing in Rupp Arena, Fieldhouse Arena, Allen Fieldhouse. Like you're playing in all these places. They have refs. They keep stats, like the whole deal. It's pretty cool. So I go do those do about four or five of those a year. But yeah, I, I prefer to play. You're admitting you're over 35? Uh, oh yeah, I'm definitely over 35. So I guess talk about your company right now. I mean, would you mind telling us a little bit about the employee size or the revenue? And then we can talk about how you got there to make this company. Right now on the sixth division side, we've got 14 employees. It'll be $3 million this year. And on the plus this, I don't actually know on the plus this side, except a business partner that runs it. And he knows everything that's going on. But I would say we're like seven or eight and we're between one and two million revenues. And I don't remember the exact numbers on that side. Did you grow up wanting to be an entrepreneur? Like, how did we get here? I usually like take it back to college and see if you were inspired then or what was your path? That's a great question. I refer to myself as like an unwilling entrepreneur, meaning I grew up with, I grew up with entrepreneurial blood. But not like the entrepreneurial mind. Some people grow up, they're like, no, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to go create this business. I'm going to go do this thing. I grew up with all of the traits that make entrepreneurs certifiably unemployable, but not with the mindset that I was going to go start my own thing. That's code for not a good combination because I didn't have the vision to go create my own business, but 
I could see all the things that didn't work about the businesses where I was employed. So growing up, my dad, my dad was an attorney, had his own practice growing up. My college career, if we want to call it that, I was working, basically I graduated high school, went on a mission for my church, came home and I didn't really have any skills to speak of. And I found a job working for the University of Phoenix online, which they were just, it's just a sales job basically. And they'd hire anyone that seemed like they could work hard and sell something. I started there because I was going there, I got free tuition. So I went to school there. It was my first job that was like a soul sucking job where I didn't really, I wasn't in love with my leadership team because there was a lot of lack of leadership and there was a lot of lack of maturity on my side for sure. So I owned my responsibility in that. But they basically, I went to school there, but because I had this negative view of work, I also had this negative view of school. So I have a degree from the University of Phoenix Online in Business Management. I don't really hold it in a super high esteem of regard. And I got saved from there when my two brothers and my brother-in-law were looking for someone to come join their fledgling little software company. I was the sixth employee as a company called Infusionsoft. They have like 700 employees now. I was there from six employees to about 150. And what year was that? That was, let's see, I started Infusionsoft in 2004 and I was there until 2010. So it was about six, six and a half years. And then in 2010, they hit a rough patch and they ended up laying off 15% of the company. So it was like a reset to keep going. I was part of that. And I found myself, if I'm being completely frank, super, super afraid. Like when I say, and I mean, I'm talking like paralysis by fear about what I was going to go do because I didn't have any of the mental side of what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I just had a lot of ideas about how I, th- how I thought things ought to work, not enough guts to actually do something about it. Suddenly I found myself without a job. And I believe that if they hadn't pushed me out the door when they did, I believe that I would still be there. And I think, like I am thankful every day for the fact that they pushed me out the door. You said there was 15% laid off. So how many people was it at that point? Because you said how big it is now, but at the time they had to lay off those people. Yeah, it was 10% got laid off. There were 150 people. So there was 15 people that got laid off. And why'd they lay you off? We've had some conversations. I don't know what went on in when they were talking about who to lay off. I have my assumptions and my assumptions go like this. I was an entrepreneur working for somebody. It's like the worst possible thing you can have. I had a lot of strong opinions. I had a lot of ideas of how the way things should work. And I was for sure that I was right. All that translates into if I had somebody on my team right now that acted the way that I remember that I acted, and I might be being harder on myself than it actually was, but if I did, I'd let go of them. Like, like, no, you're done. I'm not going to deal with that crap. Part of it was like, I was smart and I had a lot of really good ideas and I could produce a lot. And I was also kind of a pain in the butt because I just didn't have an understanding of what it actually took. I had this convoluted picture that I had created in my mind. I think that, and there was another piece that from an organizational standpoint, most of my time there was on the product development team. And they had an idea. It was about a month before I got laid off. They had an idea that they wanted to create a product marketing function. So they wanted to take somebody from product, have them live on the marketing team to help bridge the gap between how marketing talked about the software and how the software actually functions so that there was a seamless transition from people that were buying into people that were getting up and running. I got moved over to the marketing team. They backfilled my role on the product team and then they changed the structure of the marketing team where there was a VP and there was me as a sole director and the VP was the prior director and then the team. So I had a team that I was leading that I inherited and then I had a VP that was above me. It's like broom handle organizational structure, which doesn't ever really work. You should only hire directors if you have at least two of them. So what happened is they hit a rough spot and all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute, we got a VP of marketing and sales and we have a director of marketing and they had changed my role to where I wasn't really doing the product marketing stuff anymore. So it's kind of like I got moved into a role and then all of a sudden it was like, we can't afford to have that role and it didn't really exist. Combine that with the fact that I was more of a punk than I probably needed to be and it made for he should be included in the 15. 
And you weren't that way on your mission trip? That's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. No. So what happened is like growing up, there's a mentality that it takes to be an entrepreneur to go create things. I didn't really have that growing up almost in any aspect. Like I did not have, I didn't like grow up like this. You know, a lot of times you think entrepreneurs, you think alpha male, confident, got everything figured out. I was talented in a lot of respects, but I didn't have any confidence behind it growing up. When I went on my mission, that was the first time where it was like, yeah, go figure crap out, dude. <laughs> like you got to go figure out how to make stuff work. And, and I had the president, the one that was put in place to oversee the efforts of all the extremely mature 19 year olds. He was the first one who was like, yeah, no, go figure this out. And when I tried to come back and give my lame excuses that I couldn't figure, I was like, I don't care, go figure it out. When I came back off of my mission, there was an initial boost of like, I can go figure stuff out, but it hadn't translated to the, I can go figure stuff out and actually create a business around it. I had the probably more arrogance than calm confidence when I was at Infusionsoft. And also I got pretty good at what I was doing at Infusionsoft, which just fed the arrogance that's typical of what I imagine of younger people. Maybe not. Maybe I was just a horrible human being. I like to tell myself so I could sleep at night that I was the same as what most people would be like if they went through the same situation. But yeah, so by the time I got into Infusionsoft, it just kind of combination of, I think I'm right. I don't think the company's going where I think the company should go. And it was largely because they weren't going where I wanted to go. And I didn't really have the whole picture of why we needed to go where we were going. Anyway, all of that kind of combined together with, we actually can't afford to have that role anymore anyway. And that created the departure. From the Infusionsoft, you said once you got laid off, it was a shock to you. But could you tell us a little bit more? I mean, did you have any money saved up or anything? I don't know if your brothers helped you out. Like, what was it like then? Because you're still in the employee mindset. Oh, yeah, totally. So totally in the employee mindset. It was a complete shock, like to the extent, so it was my two brothers and my brother-in-law were the founders of Infusionsoft. My two brothers called me at like two o'clock in the morning and came over and told me because they were going to announce it to everybody the next day and they wanted to tell me in person. So we had a conversation like two o'clock in the morning at my house, which I'm really good at putting on a good face. Like I got everything handled. I was secretly, I was like super nervous. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, whatever. We'll handle this or we'll be fine. I had, at the time, I did have some savings. I had been disciplined to put some money away in savings. And then they did a preemptive layoff so that they could do some severance packages for people. So I got, I got a severance package. I'd been there for six years. So I got one of the better ones that had been there longer than most people. But it was not like it was going to change my life. It was just a, hey, I had a little bit of a transition. So I had some money saved up and I got a severance package. It's really insightful. So as soon as you said you were setting up the Patreon, it was just like, yeah, I'll help this guy. You know, I take a lot of value from it. You know, it's as simple as that. Yeah, I really appreciate that, man. Well, I was going to say, have you checked out our newest Patreon episode? Yeah, I was just like, oh, well, I'm in the car. I'll just listen to it, whatever. But I'm not getting anything out of this. And then you're like, wow, I'm not that naive or anything, but it really did open your eyes. Could you tell us about that conversation? Because I don't think many people are going to go through this and it sounds very interesting. Was your wife there? What was the deal at 2 a.m.? Why did they have to do it then? So they had the, this is what I believe. I don't actually know all the details, but they had a meeting that night and it was a late one. Like, I think they got done at like midnight or one o'clock. And this was the leadership team deciding, you know, they got to go through and pick, okay, well, which 15 people are we going to let go and are we going to mess with their world tomorrow? And so they called, I think they called a couple of times because I didn't hear the phone ring and finally my wife answered the phone and she's like, hey, your brothers are coming over. Like, I'm still not totally awake. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, what do you think they're coming over from? I'm like, I have no idea. And at the time, my parents were in Puerto Rico. They're like, you think something happened to your parents? I'm like, I literally, I don't have any idea. So they showed up. It was like I said, it was like 2.30 in the morning. So like, I don't have the best memory in terms of the details of the, I'll tell you like the basic arc of the conversation. If we had my wife on, she could tell you all the details because she remembers it all. And 
I think she felt more of the emotional weight of it because the other little detail in that is, if you remember I mentioned before that I have five kids, my fifth son was born six weeks before this happened. She's dealing with, and he was like colicky and up all the time in the middle of the night. So we got that going on in the family. Basically it was, hey, sorry, we've got to let you go and kind of describing why. And, and my response, I remember my response like, okay, well, you know, better that it's me than somebody else because I feel confident that I can go make something happen. I think I made some remark like, you know, I'm going to kick your butt or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, like not like physically, but from a business standpoint, All right, I'm going to go make my own thing. It'll be better than what you guys built anyway. And that was, that sounds really noble. <laughs> and what it really was, was like a false display of confidence to make myself feel better. They were really, I remember both of my brothers being really torn up about it. And I remember saying something to the effect like, yeah, I actually like, I'd rather be in my situation, not your situation, because I can go make something and you got, you got to be the one that comes and tells your brothers you got laid off. They did it that morning because they finished that night and they were going to announce it the next day when everybody came in and they didn't want me to come in and hear it like everybody else did. So they came over and, and it was that. And then there was, uh, I didn't really sleep. I tried to go back to sleep, but I couldn't because my mind was going uh, you know, about a million miles an hour. And then I went in the next day and packed up all my stuff and, and left. And the interesting follow-up story to that is it didn't really hit me until the next school day because I would take my kids to school. I drop them off and they have one of those parking lots where you drive into the parking, like the parents just kind of like cycle through kind of like a U shape and then you drive out of the parking lot. So I came in, dropped my kids off and I went to go pull out of the parking lot and work is left and home is right. And it didn't hit me until I pulled up to the exit of the parking lot. I was like, holy crap, I don't have anywhere to go. Like I sat there for until the person behind me was like, hey, you're going to go somewhere? Like, do I turn left? Do I turn right? I have no idea where I'm going to go. And that was kind of the initial like, holy crap, what's about to happen here? Like now what do I go do? So that was kind of the, hey, Bertie, time to go fly, time to go figure something out. That was kind of the, the initial being tossed into the, I mean, it wasn't technically being tossed in the entrepreneurial world. It was, you got to go figure something out. And I didn't see how, I didn't see any jobs when I went and looked that sounded like they would be fulfilling to me and where I could see myself actually going in and being able to earn the money that I needed to, to replace my income and be able to provide for my family the way that I wanted to getting a job sort of by default was not an option. And what type of money were you trying to replace? Like what were you getting paid before? I was making, I want to say I was making like exactly a hundred grand or something. And I don't want to skip over this. You might have to explain this slowly and as easily as you can. I understand what Infusionsoft is, but maybe a lot of listeners don't. So could you explain that really quickly? And then we can talk about what you did from there. Yeah, for sure. It's a software company and the software that they have built and provide helps entrepreneurs create systems and automation in how they handle leads, prospect, and clients. Very simply put, anytime you go to a website and you fill out a form on their site and then you get some emails back, Infusionsoft is a tool that helps people design, okay, here's the form that I want, here are the fields I want to capture, and then once the person fills it out, here are the emails that I want to send and you can schedule the follow-ups. And then if somebody wants to buy something, you can have a page where they go buy and then you send them follow-up emails because they bought. So it's basically a comprehensive tool that helps a small business organize all their leads, all their prospects, all their customers, and then start to automate different aspects of, we call it the client journey here at Sixth Division, but different aspects of how you would follow up with those leads and follow up with those prospects and follow up with those clients to have them buy from you and then buy from you again and again and again. So basically it's something that connects a lot of different programs instead of having multiple different programs as well. Is that another way to look at it or no? Yeah, that's that's kind of there because there are a lot of tools that do what I described. Right. Their sort of unique proposition is they combine them all. They combine a lot of them together. Like I could go get just a tool that captures leads on lines and sends follow-up emails. 
I can go get a tool that just processes orders and sends some follow-up emails. I can go get a tool that has my sales team, if I have a sales team that manages their pipeline and keeps track of where people are in the pipeline. What will be harder to find is the tool that wraps all of those into one. So I've got visibility and organization across my entire business all in one tool. Hopefully people understand now exactly what Infusionsoft was. And now back to your story where you're looking for a job, wasn't finding anything that was going to fit your lifestyle. What happened then? This was about, see, I got laid off about a week before Infusionsoft's big user conference that they had at the time. And so did you still get to go to the conference or no? Well, yeah. So I was slated to speak three times. (laughs) Did, Did you? I did. Actually, I spoke all three times. So I was slated to speak. When I went back in the next day, the lady who was in charge of the entire event was freaking out because like half of her speakers just got laid off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in hindsight, I just out of, cause I wanted to be a good person. I'm like, look, I'll still come speak. If it happened again to me now, I'd be like, Hey, I'll come speak. It would have been because I was going to launch myself into whatever business. I just didn't think that way yet. I didn't see it as an opportunity. So I was like, well, no, look, you calm down. I'll come speak. You don't have to worry about replacing my stuff or replacing me as a speaker. So the next week I went and I spoke and there were a lot of people there. I just kind of spoke and I said, hey, I used to work in Infusionsoft. I don't anymore. And I'm going to help people figure out how to use Infusionsoft. Like my approach was essentially, okay, I'm not going to go get a job. So I've got to come up with a business. The thing that I know how to do better than anybody on the planet, because I was behind the architecture of the entire software was help people understand how to better leverage the software in their business. So I'm going to go do that. I gave my presentations and just kind of alluded to, hey, if you want help, then let me know and we'll create some conversations. And I lined up a handful of conversations for after the event. And but there's a story, there's a story behind those ones too. But I had, I told everybody at the event, cause I didn't know, I didn't understand the idea of like, how do I create like what my service offering is? How do I package it? How do I productize? I didn't really have any of that figured out. I told everyone at the event, I'm like, well, I don't know exactly how I'm going to package or price my services, but if you're interested, we can have a conversation next week. And that was literally, I need to buy myself a couple of days to figure out what the heck I'm going to do. So I had four calls lined up like the following, I want to say the following Wednesday or so, like a week later. I remember getting ready for the calls that day and they were all about an hour, hour and a half apart. I remember getting ready for the calls and even on the day of, I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to sell this. So I was texting my brother, the one of the ones that came over at, at two o'clock in the morning. And I was like, hey, I'm about to have these conversations. <laughs> what should I charge these people? And he gave me, he's like, you should charge this much for this much time. And in my mind, because again, I'm coming from like an employee mindset, right? Why would anybody ever pay that? It didn't make any sense to me. I'm like, all right, well, I'll try it though. So he told you like probably twice as high as what you thought? Yeah. I don't even remember what I thought. I just remember seeing that and thinking, how? Like who would pay for that? But I got to get on the call. So I got on the call with the first person. I think what I was charging was, I think what the offer was, was we'll start with two days in person. I'll come to you. And then I will do consulting with you. We'll basically do like a half a day every other week where I'm going to be working on your business. It's $2,000 a month. And there's no upfront. It's just $2,000 a month. And they're like, okay, cool. When do we start? Literally, there was like a shock of when I made the offer, I wish I had a recording of it so I could laugh at how weak the offer was. I was in complete shock that there were no questions. It's like, okay, cool. When do we start? I was like, hmm, okay. So the next call I thought, all right, I am going to, I'm going to get crazy and I'm going to raise the price a little bit. So it's the same offer, except it was $2,500 the first month and then $2,000 a month after that. Same thing. Okay, cool. When do we start? Hmm. All right. So the next offer I did was, I think it was $4,000 up front and then $2,000 a month. And they said, all right, well, we got to look at scheduling. Uh, We'll get back to you. They ended up buying within the week. And then the last one, I was like, well, how? Huh, we'll just, what the heck? Let's try this out. Five grand up front, $3,000 a month. And the last two, I said, you've got to come to me. The guy's like, cool, when do I start? 
So there's like, there was this initial selling where I went from, I have no idea how I'm going to ever convince anyone to give me money to clearly, I don't understand something about how money is earned because I just had four people in a row sign up for what I would never have considered anybody would have signed up for. That was the initial launch into my freelancing consulting days. Infusionsoft have people that basically had your position there or no? Sort of, but not really. They have always in the past, and they're moving away from it a lot more now, but they've always in the past had some level of services, but primarily designed to get people up and running and started with the software and not enough to handle all of their clients. It's sort of a, hey, we're going to get you up and running. And then you've got to figure out a resource either internally or some other resource that can help you on an ongoing basis. So there were some resources there, but these people were more advanced in their business and what they wanted to do, which is why they weren't looking to go to Infusionsoft for resources. Okay. That makes sense. I guess within a couple of weeks, are you just this thing running? Because you had the conference a week later and then you had the calls a week after that. So within two weeks, you basically started your freelancing career by accident? Yes, it is exactly what happened. I hacked together the the, the most ridiculous website ever. It was, a, it was a, a picture of me and like three lines on the side. Like I'd probably go look it up on the Wayback Machine or whatever. But it was just super simple. Hacked it together, got these clients and literally maybe my timing's off. Maybe it was... It might've been three weeks, but within two to three weeks had these clients and I was sort of wondering how on earth this whole thing happened. And then there were some other conversations I had and I picked up a couple of other clients here and there, but yeah, I was suddenly into freelancing. Your wife must've felt relieved. Yeah. She felt sort of relieved, more relieved than we don't have anything. Right. But at the same time, for anyone that's starting, when you're starting, you have to like, you have to build the ability to have confidence that you can go create something in the future. This was the skill set that I was still working on developing. But even though I had those clients, I was living in a perpetual state of this is all going to fall apart. What if I can't perform? Like just perpetually playing all of the reasons why this wasn't going to work. I look back on it now and I want to grab that version of myself and slap them in the face. I was playing all that, which meant it was turning into I was spending all of my time doing stuff to make myself feel comfortable that it wasn't going to fall apart. The reality is, is you add that up and, and I went from, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to, I was making, let's see, two, four, six, like I was making $9,000 a month, like three weeks later. And granted you got taxes and other sorts of things that come into play there. So it's not at a direct correlation, but I picked up some other clients as well. Like I'd essentially replaced income, but what happened is my work time shot through the roof. And when I look back on it, like I'd only committed myself to doing four half days every other week. So I should have had loads of free time. And I didn't though, because I was just freaking out about that's oh, going to fall apart. They're going to cancel. What if I can't perform? I don't really know what I'm doing. So I was spending way more time and it was a lot of nervous energy, which translates over into my wife. And I've got five kids that are all below the age of you know eight in the house as well. There was some relief, but not entirely because I wasn't relieved, right? If I had been relieved, I could have portrayed that but when you're married to someone, you can't really hide. You can hide it from other people, but not the person you're with all the time. So, right. Especially now that you're at home and don't have a job to go to, to, I guess, hide that. Yeah. And when I'm trying to do work at home in a 1600 square foot house with five kids in like an open office that doesn't have a door on it, like it's just, it's kind of hard to hide that. Was your work before like nine to five, you just do nine to five at Infusionsoft, come home, you'd be relieved. And then you're saying basically your work hours shut through the roof from once you started picking up the freelancing? Yeah, I was like, I mean, I'd go in, it's probably like eight to five or whatever. And the reality is I spent like, I love what we were doing at Infusionsoft. So I spent a lot of time, even after hours, like I was traditionally addicted to work. Like most people were, I've gotten way better at it. So I would say the time, it's a good clarification. It may not have actually been an increase in time. Although I, I think it was definitely an increase in anxiety and anxious energy. 
I spent more, more time awake after people went to sleep into the wee hours of the morning working on things like in hindsight that just, in hindsight, I look at it and I think, why on earth would I have ever spent time on that? There was no way that was going to make any significant impact on my revenue. But I like, I needed something to be busy so that I could feel good about, so like, it's really sort of as a way to numb the pain of, I don't have any confidence, so I just want to feel busy because it makes me feel comfortable. I'm feeling on that. I have that same feeling with the podcast right now, as far as like promoting marketing. I'm like, I'm doing the exact same thing. Maybe I'm just being busy and maybe it's not like giving the RI. Maybe I don't need to do all these things. I don't have to return that email. I think a lot of people get kind of stuck in that motion, especially when you start doing your own thing again. I think you're just so excited too. At least I am. It's just like, I got to do something to make it better. You know, you only have so many hours and it sounds like that's probably the best time for you at that point, because maybe it's quiet in the house, right? When you're home and you got five kids and they're all in the age of eight, the concept of dad's got to work doesn't make any sense. And, and even for my wife, there's the idea of working at home. Unless I have an office where I can shut the door and it's separate from the house, it's really hard to be, okay, I just won't talk to you. No, like I got a question, I'm going to throw it your way. And, you know, it just, it happens. So that was were definitely the only windows where there was any sort of peace and quiet. And yeah, and back to what you're saying about the, the need to feel like to do something Reminds me of a quote. It's part of one of our core values, and it's a quote I love. It says, in the absence of clearly defined goals, we become strangely loyal to daily trivia until ultimately we become enslaved by it. One of my favorite quotes of all time. And that is literally where I was. I didn't have a clearly defined goal. I hadn't decided what I was okay with, which meant the default was if you don't define the goal, and defining the goal is both what you want to get to and where you don't have to get beyond. And where most people struggle is they have a really hard time saying, I'm okay here and I don't need to go beyond it. If I can, cool, but I'm okay here. And what happens is if you don't define the, I don't have to go beyond this number, then by default, it's going to be filled with all of the things that could theoretically be possible. When that happens, what happens now is your vision of, of your goal, the anchor of the thing that you're working towards is so big that you can see all the reasons why if I don't respond to this email, I won't be able to make that happen. But you don't even know if you actually want that thing to happen because you haven't defined the I'm okay here. So if I just come back and said, you know what, here's the deal. In my business, I want to take $120,000 take-home pay. And that means I'm going to spend money here, here, and here. So that means I've got to make $180,000 in my business, which means I've got to have this many people paying me this much money. And that's all I need. Like I'm okay there. And if I can go beyond that, great. But that's all I need is I just need the $180,000 and I have a mathematical equation that says I'm going to sell, you know, it's 15 grand a month. Let's say I sell $5,000 packages. I need three of those sold every single month. Now I can just go put all my time and energy into one thing and one thing only, finding three $5,000 packages a month. If I don't have that, then my mind scales to, oh, well, but I've got to be like the only person that knows how to do this. And what if somebody else comes in and takes my market share? It's like, it doesn't matter. I only need three of them. I don't care how many people are in the market. I can find three of them. So I don't need to have all this anxious energy about how this non-defined goal is going to crumble. It's not even defined anyway. How were you able to figure that out? I pay attention to what's happened in the past and I try to learn from it. And there'll be a story that I share later about that specifically. But essentially what I started doing is looking back and I started realizing that there was a lot of energy that I was spending on things that wasn't actually producing a result. And I had to ask myself the question, what if I, this is one of my, like I've got three core critical questions that I'm always asking myself. One of them is what if I just didn't do that? So I started to look back. I started to look back and realize, okay, so I'm staying up till the wee hours of the morning. I'm spending my time on this, this, and this. What if I didn't? Would it actually impact my ability to get to my goal? And what, what I found is that I had to swallow the pride pill and realize, no, it wouldn't. Like you're just doing a bunch of crap, dude. You're not actually doing anything that's going to move your business forward. 
it was in hindsight as I looked back at decisions I had made and then decided, well, did, did that actually work the way that I thought it was going to, or could I do things better? And that led to, in that exploration, I came across that quote, and the quote captured the idea perfectly. It's like, yeah, I've got to be anchored crystal clear in what I'm trying to make happen. Otherwise, I'm going to get distracted by a whole bunch of things that seem good, but don't actually move me towards what I want to produce in my life. So with Patreon, I heard it many times because you have that many episodes of Sign Up. So that's always in the back of mind. But then I checked it out a few times and I was like, do I really want to do this? So I'll push it off a little bit. And then you posted your goal achievement of 69 Patreon members. And I was like, you know what, what better time than now? Originally, I was going to go for the lower one, the $9 a month. But one, I want to have the conversation with you. But two, I always find that anytime I cheap out, I always find that I want to return it and upgrade to what I really, really wanted. So that's why I'm paying the higher one, if that makes sense. But it was just constantly pushing it off, pushing it off. And then I was just like, fuck it. I already listened to all of them. So why not? And no, I appreciate you clarifying that. I don't know the exact quote, but I guess time's going to fill whatever space that you have open or something of that nature. Because I'm exactly the same way of thinking because my first company, I did that exact same thing. I was working on stuff wee hours in the morning on the website, on this stuff. I'm like, at the end of the day, does it really matter if you're getting 100, 200 people to your website? You know, no, it probably doesn't. Like now, I guess this is kind of the second company I've been doing. I started doing it again, but I started thinking, I'm like, okay, the only thing I really care about is download. I don't need to post on social media, all these different things. And if I make it clearly focused, I want X amount of podcast downloads. And what do I do to get there? Yeah. And clearly defined the, the key in that. So for anybody listening, the key in that is two elements of clearly defined what you want, which is downloads and the quantity. I'm cool. Like I'm happy here. It doesn't mean that if you, that you'll stop there, you can go get more later, but but when you have that clearly defined, that becomes the, the judge, jury, and executioner of where you could spend your time. So all the ideas that you have about where you could spend your time, the judge, jury, and executioner of those ideas is what you're committed to. It is the clearly defined goal of X amount of downloads of this podcast. You're like, okay, I'm going to go do these posts on Instagram. If you think that will work, you can go do them, but then you got to go look at it and see if they did. And if not, like, oh, I'm done with that crap. I'm going to go do something else that actually produces the results that I have clearly defined that I'm committed to. Hopefully that helps any of the entrepreneurs who are dealing with that kind of anxious energy like you're talking about. Again, it's just that mentality when you start doing something that you have to put all your hours into it, but eventually you're going to wear yourself down is what I found. From there, you found out that you didn't want to be a full-time freelancer. What was your coming to Jesus moment up there? What happened is I, I was fulfilling for my clients, but I, was more, I wasn't proactively providing value as much as I was trying to not have them stop paying me because I was so afraid that if they stopped paying me, I wouldn't make the money. I didn't know how I'd go make more money. And that's a surefire way to have people stop paying you <laughs> is to operate that way. So I came to a point where you know they started to drop off over time, which was natural. They were going to anyway. And I understand that now in hindsight. And as I was looking back and kind of analyzing and processing that, what I realized about myself is like, I like to be a part of a team and I like to be building something. I don't thrive nearly as well when I'm in an environment that's just like, let's churn and burn a project. I want to be building something that can be used by other people later and not just doing these one-off projects. I worked with those clients maybe for six months. They might've been over six or nine months. And then, and then essentially I stopped taking services work and I just stopped selling it and I just kind of floated and there's, I had enough money and savings and enough left over from severance plus the money I'd made that I could afford to be stupid. And what I tell anyone that ever asked me about my story is like, yeah, the fastest way to get smart is to run out of time or run out of money. 
because once you've run out of either one of those, you can't afford to be stupid anymore. And if you want to be smarter, then just convince yourself that you have, and then it will force you to make better decisions. What happened is I stopped working. Funny thing happens when you stop working, you stop making money. The next thing I was going to try is I ran into a guy and we were talking. He's like, you know what you got to do is create a membership site because they were all the craze at that point and they're still super effective and can be. So like, make a membership site. You get a bunch of people in it. They just pay you 50 or 100 bucks and then uh, you do the work one time and a, and a bunch of people, you know, you make the money you want. And so like, all right, cool. I'll do a membership site. So this is about a year later and FusionSoft's big user conference was coming around again. I convinced them to let me speak. I think I paid a little bit of money so I could sell something and I created a membership site and I, sorry, let me clarify that. I did not create a membership site. I created a presentation. I got up on stage and I sold a membership site and I had nothing created. It was literally, it was an idea. And when I say literally, I mean, I had no website. I had no place that people could log in. I had no merchant account to be able to take the people's money. I was like, no, here's an idea. I'm going to get up and I'm going to sell it. I was scared out of my mind that I was selling it for $50 a month. I was convinced that I was going to get up. I was going to give my presentation. I was going to make my pitch at the end and nobody was going to buy it. And I was going to look like a total idiot. And that's not what happened. We had, there was probably 320 people in the room, maybe 250 buying units. I had 85 people sign up for a $50 a month subscription to my membership that I had nothing created for. And 42 of them took a $197 upsell to spend 30 minutes on the phone with me where I would plan out what they ought to go build in their business. And then I would send them a blueprint of exactly how to go build it afterwards. I went and I lost them. I'm like, cool. I got, you know, I got clients. I spoke a couple other, I think I spoke twice that year. I think I convinced to let me speak twice on two different topics, but one of them was where I was selling and I sold that. So I was going to do this membership site. And so interesting to me how your mind controls everything. Cause what most people would hear that and be like, that's freaking awesome. And then you went and built that membership site, right? Yeah, no, that's what a normal entrepreneur would do. What I did is I, I did the math in my head. I was like, okay, 85 people times $50 a month. That's about $4,000 a month. That's not enough to pay for my family. So this clearly is not a viable business model. Like literally my brain was saying, no, because I didn't show up at one event and in one fell swoop, make enough money to pay for everything. This was not going to work. So, I mean, I had people that paid, so I had to go produce some interviews. And so I, I called up some people and created some time to go do some interviews with a top Infusionsoft user. So I went and I produced those, but I didn't do anything to market it afterwards. Like I didn't understand that concept. So basically those people stayed on for a while, but it was same cycle, right? So had some success right away, got nervous that everybody was going to leave. They naturally left because that's what they were going to do over time. And then it slowly started to fade away. And that led to the next year. So that was the end of 2011. That led to the next year, 2012. At the end of 2011, I was just kind of floating along with this membership site. I was doing some consulting type work, literally just enough to pay the bills. But my buffer between you literally have zero money was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. We're getting closer into 2011. I had a, a guy that I worked with at Infusionsoft. He's now my business partner. He was working at another company that was doing some consulting, but in the enterprise space around how to use tools. They're not Infusionsoft because that's not for the enterprise space, but for bigger companies, same, similar tools. Like it was like the same work. Like, hey, you should come work with me. And I went and worked there, but it was, it was up in Scottsdale. For those that aren't familiar with layout of the land here in Arizona, it was like a 45 minute commute each way. I can't stand commuting. So I literally lasted three weeks at the company. And half of one of those weeks was us going to Salesforce's big user conference, Dreamforce. We got over there and I started to talk to him, Dave's his name, about coming and joining me and creating something on the plus this on the Infusionsoft side, like a, a consult, like our own company. And truthfully, I needed somebody to partner with. Like at the time, I didn't have the mental aptitude to be able to make something work myself. It was sort of like, I know I can't stay here at LeadMD. This other thing's not making money. And where I was coming from at the time was really like, 
but I didn't say it this way to him, but it was almost like, please come do this because if not, I have no idea what I'm going to do. That was sort of, there were remnants of that for sure going on in my mind. We went to Dreamforce in San Francisco, walked into the first class and it was horribly outdated. We're like, no, we're not standing here. And then basically we ended up going over to home office depot, grabbed the big post notes, went back into our hotel room and we mapped out, we actually still have those post notes. We mapped out what were the tenants that we're going to create eventually what would become six divisions. So this was like October of 2011. Came back. I told the CEO of the company that I was done. I, I finished out the rest of the week. Dave stayed on because he was making a good salary and he was head of all sales and everything. We kind of started to create what would eventually become six division. Part of that was coming with the name six division, all that. And it was probably, I may mess up the timeline, but I want to say it was maybe a month later, Dave's wife, he's at home and he, she's like, what are you doing? He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, every time you talk about this other company you're working at, you're not nearly as excited about it. And every time you talk about what you're doing with Brad, you've got a totally different energy. What are you doing? And he's like, well, I don't know. I got this. We got like this. Like, this is pretty sure. This one over here is absolutely not sure at all. So I'm trying to be responsible. It's like, yeah, you should go quit tomorrow. And so he went in and he quit the next day and he had a transition out. And all of a sudden we had this company and we had a couple of people that were on board at the time that had been helping me, like that had been helping me kind of part-time. And we were coming around again to the next Infusionsoft user conference. It's basically March every year. And before the Infusionsoft, can you just tell us what were the differences between the, my business and the sixth division? I just want to make sure there's total clarity on what the differences were. Use my business was just me. Right. And then I had a little bit later as I was doing some project stuff to keep food on the table, I'd hired some part-time help. Basically, for all intents and purposes, Infuse My Business was my freelance business. Sixth Division was basically Infuse My Business dying and being reincarnated as a business, not as a freelance. Okay, makes sense. All right, you see, so keep going. So basically, oh, I just, every time I tell a story, I laugh and sort of want to cry. We started Sixth Division. We made a little bit of money. We went to an event in November before Sixth Division was even officially created as an entity sold a little bit of revenue. We had some people that were helping us fulfill. And basically from about October to March, neither Dave nor I took any money out of the business. We basically just paid the people that we had helping us and paid our costs because we had a, a little office that we were renting. We were trying to figure out like what we were going to sell. In the middle of that, we decided, we're like, well, if we're going to build this company, we've got to have our own office space. It can't be, we were like subleasing, literally it was like a, maybe a, a 10 by 10 office, not even that big. It's probably eight by eight office. And there were Four of us at different times that were in there, it was just way too small. But we know we got to get an office. So we found an office space. We signed a personally guaranteed lease for three years that was like triple what my mortgage was. And then Infusionsoft was coming around and they were starting to get a little bit smarter on their sponsorships. So they wanted a real one. So we committed like 25 or 30 grand in a sponsorship on credit cards to go sponsor InfusionCon, which is the big user conference. Somehow that all made sense in a business where we weren't making money. So we roll into the conference. Part of our sponsorship was that I got to speak the second night and I woke up that morning and I got at emails from my business and personal bank accounts that they were all overdrawn. So I think the business one was overdrawn by like 1500 or like, yeah, 1500 bucks. And the personal was overdrawn by like 900 bucks. That was my vote of confidence. I woke up that morning to finalize my presentation. We had people come into an, an evening session. So it was like, are people going to come? Are they going to go to dinner? I literally finished my last slide as the first two people walked in the room. I was up in front of the room. I was finishing my slides. We had a little HP LaserJet 1020 printer that was in the back of the room. We were printing order forms in the back of the room while I was presenting from stage. And we were probably, again, maybe 300. The room was, it was like standing room only, maybe 300 people in the room, probably 250 business, I don't know, buying units maybe. I don't remember. We didn't really keep track super well. And we sold that night 
So remember last time when I was super afraid of selling $50 a month, we were selling a $6,000, come hang out with us for two days and we'll help you get this figured out and up and running in your business, this tool, Infusionsoft. I was so scared to propose that somebody would pay me $6,000 to come do this. And the message was right, the market was right, the offer was right, and the presentation was right enough. And we sold 66 of them that night. It was between that night and then the next day at the conference. I don't remember what the actual numbers were that night, but we sold a bunch of them at the conference. That was like the, oh, hey, there's something here. And all of a sudden we're a business. So yeah, I'm just doing the calculations about 400K. You make in those two days when you had zero in your accounts? But, well, yeah. So yes, there was, we factored out refunds. It ended up being about 360 net after people refund for buyer's remorse. And then when you factor out the fact that Amex decided to lock up about $180,000, that hold it for six months, it goes way down. But yes. Seems like you remember that day very well. I can visualize walking after the event, after we had counted up order forms and everybody had left that night. And I was like, what just happened? How on earth? You know, then it shifts to, oh, now we've got to go. Now we have to go fulfill and deliver. And we did. We did a really good job of that. But yeah, it was, I, yes, that, that was very, that is ingrained in my memory. And tell us about the struggles or if someone was going from your position, which I think it's going to happen a lot more in the future that there are a lot of more employees are going to be freelancers and maybe they want to start their own company. Talking about the transition, because it basically is the same type of company. You're just expanding it and making it more of a business. Yeah. I want to turn into a business where I had the whole purpose of the business was I'm going to make it easy for people to make sense of how to put automation into their business. That was like, I want to make a company that builds this framework and this methodology and this process that makes it easy for people to be able to use that stuff. So it's interesting because I was not a freelancer then. I think I could probably pull it off now and I'd, I'd be okay. I don't know that it would be as personally satisfying, but I've also seen a, I've seen a lot of people that have left jobs or been laid off from jobs that can go do freelancing. Like it actually works really well. I think there's a shift where prior to, I don't know, five or 10 years ago, the small business market was not a market that people looked at as a way to monetize over the last five to 10 years. And I think Infusionsoft spearheaded it, but there's, there are a lot more, if you look at the number of software tools and services that are available to small businesses and compare it to what it is now to what it was 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I mean, we're talking like non-existent to a thriving, a thriving market. And the other side of it though, is there are so many small businesses that I don't think that it's possible for I don't think it's possible to have like the handful of big agencies that serve all, like when you get into the Fortune 500 companies, you only need it. There, there's a handful of companies that really do the bulk of the work there. When you get to small businesses, there's not a Fortune 500. There's just a lot of them. There's room in the market for a lot of agencies. And, and a lot of the agencies are literally somebody who's really good at Facebook advertising or who's really good at design. Like that is an agency. It can be just you. For people that are transitioning, what I always talk to every entrepreneur about in their businesses the foundation of your business is what you want the business to provide for you. And then on top of that, you can stack what you're going to provide in exchange for the people that you serve. That's what creates the value. Then you got to create a financial model on top of that. And so the core underlying piece that I would define is what do you want to create? I wanted to create a company. And so I had to go hire people in order to create a company. It couldn't be freelancing. There are a lot of people like, no, I, I just want to have like pretty cool business that I make enough money to go do what I want to do. I don't need it to be a company where I've got a team of people. And that's totally viable. Going back to the comment of be really have clearly defined goals so you don't get sucked into a whole bunch of different stuff. Just know what you want to build and know that when you decide that you're not deciding it forever. You can start off and say, hey, you know what? I just got laid off and I happen to be really good at website building websites. I could start a company building websites. And for now, I just want to be able to provide for myself and be able to go do stuff that works. And after a year, you might say, you know what? I want to build a company around this. Then you go build a company around it. So 
my advice would be stop first before you run around like a chicken with your head cut off. Stop first and decide what you actually want and write it down. How much money do you want to make? How much time freedom do you want to have? What kind of work makes you personally satisfied? And then the fourth one is like, what vision do you have for the business? What do you see the business becoming? And if you don't have a vision that has to be bigger than just you as a freelance consultant, and maybe even you have one or two people helping you, but you're still like the main person, then just run with that until that changes. But that is the anchor is revenue, time, fulfillment. And then what do you see the business becoming? And you want to have that written so that you know what it takes for the business to work for you. And then you got to go figure out how you package your offerings and what kind of value you're going to deliver to the marketplace in order to actually make that work for you. So what do you envision for yourself and your company going forward? We have, there are a couple of different layers to our company. Right now, most of the work that we do lives in the realm of helping people organize their marketing and sales, basically how they get clients and how they fulfill for those clients so that they can consistently hit their revenue numbers and consistently grow their business. When I look at small business, I've created a thing called the Predictable Small Business Framework, which is a systematic approach to running the entire business. And there are two other really big buckets. There's how you define and execute a vision that supports the entire business. And then there's how you build a team and identify the culture and then the actual hiring and how you organize the team. There are kind of two facets to the growth of Sixth Division moving forward. One is that we add to our current service offering. So right now, if you want to work with us, you work with us one-on-one, we do a service offering. And what we'll add is some educational components where we can teach you and then you can go do it. So we'll add that on the on the client side. And then we'll take the same type of offerings where you can hire us one-on-one or you can come do some courses, like either online or do in-person workshops. We'll take that same model and we'll apply it to how to build a team and then also how to execute how to execute your vision. And, and I see those being the, the two ways that we are continuing to expand, continue to expand Sixth Division. And how has your role changed from when you were the freelancer? What's your day-to-day like now? When I was the freelancer, I, was, I did everything. When we started the company that first year in business in 2012, we did, we did seven figures in our first year and it sucked because I literally did everything. So it was Monday, Tuesday, we had clients in for makeovers. Wednesday, we were trying to close new people down. Thursday, we were trying to negotiate sponsorships at events. Friday, we were going to events and speaking, coming home late on Saturday or Sunday. We start the whole process over again. I was having a conversation with my 15-year-old, I don't know, a couple of days ago about that first year. I'm like, what do you remember from that first year? It's like, I just remember you were gone all the time. So it was everything at the beginning. And then my business partner took over selling, and then it was just fulfilling. And then my business partner took over the new business, the software business that spun off. And so I was back over leading everything and kind of coming full circle where we are now is I actually just have, I just put one of our team members in place that's been on board for a while. And he actually is officially stepping into a CEO slash president role. We haven't figured out the exact terminology, but it'll probably be, he'll be playing the CEO role and I'll be playing co-founder role. And so now my job is to help with the direction of where the company's going. His job is to execute the vision of where the company's going. And then my job is to support people in whatever role they're in, just like I'm there to support, but nothing depends on me. They've got it, but I'm like in their back pocket to help them out. And then to start being a little bit more engaged in creating content and helping kind of spread and evangelize the sixth division message, so to speak. Appreciate you doing the call here. Yeah, favorite podcast by far, I love it. Oh yeah, why is that? So I graduated 2017 from Michigan. I heard that shout out the other day, that was pretty cool. Basically, two months after I graduated, I started listening to the podcast. Loved it. I think there were maybe 30 episodes or something out by that point. And I consider myself to be pretty entrepreneurial. Started a business last year. 
this helped a ton. And it's hard, I think, to find entrepreneurs. I was just looking for entrepreneurial meetups. And I think, wow, this is more of an awesome opportunity to talk with other entrepreneurs. The value is, I mean, it's insane. Like people make these types of entrepreneurial insight things are thousands of dollars. This is 12 per month, but one per month is like nothing. And speaking of coming full circle, we are with the interview. So is there any last words or thoughts that you want to leave with the entrepreneurs or someone who wants to get started with their own business? Yeah, a couple of things. And I'll repeat one of the things that I said before. The key for me is, one, you've got to define what you want, not what you think you're supposed to want because somebody else said it, not because not what you think you need. You define what you want to go create. And you got to be really clear on it. And the trickiest part about that, I said this before, but I want to say it again. The trickiest part about that is it's not the minimum. The minimum is pretty easy in terms of revenue, time, fulfillment. The minimum is easy. It's where can I just, where am I good? Like my approach is we built six divisions in a pretty good spot. I want for everybody to have that sort of like freedom in terms of time and revenue. And then if I can grow it more within a regular work schedule, cool, I'll grow it more, but I'm not growing it just to grow it. Like I'm really clear that I've got five kids. I've got two summers left with my oldest daughter. I've got 10 left with my youngest son before I kick him out of the house. There are no bonuses for me growing the company faster and then missing the fact that I'll never have a chance to be with my seven-year-old son again. He's only going to be seven now. So the key is, is defining, and, and I'm using kids. If you don't have kids, it doesn't matter. It's whatever you have that you can only do now, you're making a trade-off. So it's defining clearly, what is it that I actually want? And then all the work that you go do has to be run by the filter. Will it actually make a difference towards what I actually want? I echo it again. I know I already said it, but I echo it again because I talk with entrepreneurs all the time and literally almost every single conversation goes back to, well, what are you trying to do? I don't know. Or what are you trying to do? Well, I think I'm sort of trying kind of maybe to go do this. Well, that means you're going to sort of kind of trying maybe end up doing a whole bunch of crap that's not going to move your business anywhere. So you've got to get really clear. And in that process, recognize that there is no answer in the universe for what you ought to do. You just decide. So a lot of people are, they're trying to read books to figure out what they should want. No, you just decide and it's just going to be in your gut. No, you decide what it is. And then all of your work bleeds toward that. And I just remember the question, what if I just didn't do this? So of all the things that you could possibly do to make that become a reality, you want to constantly be asking, what if I just didn't? Would it actually make a difference in terms of my ability to get to my goal? And if the answer is no, then you just don't do it. Yeah. Another way I always say is, yeah, what's the worst that's going to happen if you don't do it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Well, no, I appreciate you leaving us with that. If anyone wants to say thank you for doing the interview, is there a good way for them to reach out and say thanks? Uh, yeah, brad at sixdivision.com and sixdivision is spelled out S-I-X-T-H division.com. All right, Brad. Well, thank you for doing the interview. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks a lot, man. If you're looking for other tech-based interviews, then consider episode 66 with Sid Bala, where he talks about building a software company. Episode 70 with Neil Thander, where he talks about growing a business that ranks 34 different supplement categories. Or episode 71 with Jordan Gao, where he talks about cart abandonment, e-commerce, and click funnels. In other news, if you want to leave us feedback about the show, give us a call or text us on our new hotline. Simply dial 1-305-985-3469. The best comments, questions, or feedback will be shared on a future episode.
so don't be scared to get creative. As always, thanks for tuning in and sharing the podcast with your friends, family, and loved ones.